Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Sermon Podcast. Our purpose at Ablaze is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, and tell others. If you are looking for a church home in the Tulsa area, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at ablazechurch.org. We are in part three in a series in this month of August, and uh, the first one was uh, two weeks ago. We talked about what is prayer. Gabe, not just the definition, but some kind of a functional approach to what prayer is and why it is so critically important in our lives. And then last week, Pastor Dreyer talked about the Lord's Prayer. The first four verse, words, our Father in heaven, uh, he said it's okay to call him Daddy because uh, Jesus referred to the Heavenly Father as Daddy, uh, Abba, You've heard that word, meaning it's it's the endearing term referring to God as Father. And so today we're going to be talking about prayer that saves the nation. Now, why this particular topic? It's because it's timely. You see, the need of our nation, there's so many dangers that we are facing, so many big concerns, and the major issues are not just inflation, climate change, carbon footprint, fossil fuels, critical race theory, gender diversity, and all those deep political divisions that we have in our country, which are but symptoms of things that are a lot, lot deeper than that. You can treat the symptoms of a disease, but the disease is still there. So today we want to get into what that real disease is, because underlying are some spiritual problems. The moral drift, that slippery slope that people are on in our nation, and it's kind of like uh, it's tumbling headlong. Now, in the book of Judges, there is a cycle that is described for us, which we seem to be on. Okay, so God established the nation, the people of Israel, gave them the land, gave them victory over the enemies, times of peace, divided the land, there was great prosperity, there are just laws that ruled them, and so uh, the people were doing so well. In fact, they became prosperous, and they prospered so much they began to focus on that rather than God, and the drift began, and they began to take on, you know, a little bit the gods of their neighbors, and uh, pretty soon they had, when you do that, when you start worshiping idols, when there are idols in your life, it, it weakens everything. And so the nation began to have internal weakness and vulnerability, while their enemies then saw that weakness and went after them and uh, attacked them, Took their, uh, took their nation. The people were in great distress and so finally they said, oh Lord, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. We know we did wrong. Okay, can you fix this up again, please? And hurry up. Uh, and so God heard in his mercy and he fixed it up, uh, drove out the enemies, provided godly leadership. The harmony was restored, uh, the prosperity is restored and there they are, everybody's happy again for a little bit <laughs> because the next thing had happened was the cycle repeated itself and they went after other gods and, and you know the rest of the story. Well, now, prayer. We're talking about prayer. Prayer is a demonstration of our dependence on God, a way that God has given us of touching his very heart, a way to bring the needs before the throne of God and 
that is the only place that can alter the trajectory of the history of nations. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples from our own times of where prayer changed the course of a nation. First one is right after World War II, Germany was divided into the Eastern and the Western, one under Russian domination, and they set up a whole communist regime. The West was free. So what are the people doing? There's a lot of suffering in the East, and people are trying to escape, and so they build a wall to keep the people from, you know, in the East, in the East, shooting them, killing them if they tried to get over to the other side. Well, what do you do? It finally dawned on them, hey, we could pray about this. In the year 1989, there was a pastor of St. Nicholas Church, which was a historic church going back to the 13th century, Martin Luther preached there a number of times. Johann Sebastian Bach performed a lot of his new compositions in that uh, place because he was from Leipzig. And um, so this pastor, uh, his name is Christian Fuhrer. He opened up the church. He said, people, you can come on in and pray. You want freedom? We get it by praying. And so the people would come in and they would pray in noontime you know, like uh, regularly, and the place would be packed. And then there was not enough room that people would be out in the streets. They would have to send loudspeakers. And by the peak of it all, there were 75,000 people that would gather and pray, and they prayed for a peaceful change. They did not want violence. They did not want warfare. They wanted nobody hurt, no one killed. And so they just prayed. And by that was in September, and by November Guess what happened? The Berlin Wall was torn down. East and West were reunited. Communism fell not only in Germany, but in all the European countries where communism had been established as the way of life. Within a year, they were all torn down, and it was done peacefully. What was it? Something was done through prayer that could not have been done militarily, diplomatically, politically, but it happened. The impossible happened. God's people on their knees. When I fight... I'll fight where? On my knees. <laughs> Great song. Okay, let's go to another one. 1973, January 22, the Supreme Court ruled in Roe versus Wade that a woman has the right to secure an abortion to terminate the life of an unborn child, which resulted in millions of losses of innocent lives. But at the same time, a pro-life movement was formed. And that pro-life movement the Christians were mobilized in prayer, frequent you know, peaceful marches, and uh, praying at um, some of the abortion clinics, setting up pregnancy, crisis pregnancy centers, people bringing, you know, d- donating thousands of hours and bringing uh, all kinds of things that would be needed for these babies and the mothers and the families. And it was a, a very sacrificial kind of a thing. This very year, that has been overturned. You say, okay, the trajectory of history has changed. But it's not over yet, folks. (laughs) No, it's still up to the states. And so uh, we do not, uh, it, it does not all happen by the passage of laws. It happens through a huge moral uplift. And that can only happen through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith and prayer. Okay, prayer that can change a nation. Our mission here is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, 
and tell others. We are part of that mission that God has set for his church to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, which has the capacity to change the world. Prayer can save a nation. How about we just pray about that right now? Would someone uh, come forward and, and offer up prayer in, in that regard? Dear Heavenly Father, King of glory, Lord of the nations, cause our nation to arise and shine. Help us to shed the light in dark places and turn our nation from evil toward things that glorify your name. Forgive us when we are prideful and forsake your word. Teach us to humbly submit to your will that your glory may rise upon us, that other nations may know that you are the true and living God. In Jesus' name, we believe and pray. Amen. Amen. Now, so where should we pray? Now, there are some notes you have. That is, next, we're going to see that we should pray for our leaders and those who are in authority. You know, this is not a matter of blue versus red, red versus blue, but this is a matter of asking God to restrain evil, selfish power grabbing, to address injustices, to provide compassion for the powerless, security for all the citizens of our nation. Paul writes to the Romans that what is important, the, the power of the sword that is given to government is the punishment of evil and the praise of them that do well. Let's go back to what I read earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the first four verses again. And this is what he says. First of all, I guess that must mean it's important, okay? Number one on the list. I urge, not suggest, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. But now he gets specific. But for kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, that's reasonable, godly and dignified in every way, we all say amen to that. This is good. And it is pleasing in the God, inside of God, our Savior. But what's the end? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice the tie-in between prayer, the, the peace and the harmony of our nation, the well-being of our, our leaders, and the spread of the gospel. So how should we pray? Well, we pray for our leaders. When you do it, please don't make it political, but pray for their health for their well-being, for their safety, because, you know, they can be targets, and their families can be targets as well. But for the wisdom, for them to know and to follow the will of God, especially when there's matters of right and wrong, wisdom and foolishness, so that the most good for the most people can be accomplished and be done. That the rights of all that are granted to us uh, are maintained and retained. And above all, so that if they do not already know, that they may come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. You see, prayer can save a nation. Let's pause again and let's pray. King of the earth, we pray for all in authority, our president, vice president, cabinet members, members of Congress, our state governor and legislator, our local leaders, 
for judges and magistrates and all who enforce the laws. Grant wisdom from above as they exercise the stewardship of authority that comes from you and as they navigate through the uncertain times of the present and future. Provide wise counsel for sound decisions that promote justice and security for our people through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The next thing we want to pray for is for national repentance. Now, repentance really has to begin with ourselves. It doesn't do a lot of good to point out everybody else's fault when we have some blind spots. So it's an important exercise, calling out our society and uh, also the corruption that is within our culture. Now, if there's a crooked stick, let's say we got a messed up crooked culture, what's the best way to point out that that's crooked? Uh, loud voices and, uh, you know, yelling and a lot of criticism, or if you lay a straight stick alongside of it. See, the righteous lives of the people of God should be like straight sticks. And that speaks more powerfully and convincingly than angry words. Now, I want to take you to Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah had become aware. Uh, now, he was in exile in, in Persia, but he had become aware that things are not going well back in his home country in Israel. And so what does he do? He offers up prayer, prayer that can save a nation. Hmm. Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Nehemiah 1, where it says, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, oh, which they, uh, oh, the word is we, oh, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules you commanded your servant Moses. End of quote. You know, fasting can restore our intimacy with God. We can rediscover our first love of God again. We can humble ourselves in the sight of God, refocus, and restore that intentionality in our lives through fasting. And with fasting goes confession which is an admission of our failure to obey. Now, let's get this. Sin is not only individual. There are sometimes family sins, community sins, church sins, national sins. We're part of community, and somehow we get involved and embedded into those things as well. So what Nehemiah did, he, con he confessed sins that he was not even personally guilty of, but because he was connected to a community, he went on behalf of the people of God. And we're going to find that there is something really special about that. So we need to confess even our failure to take a public stand and to call out evil, our failure to witness to the truth of Jesus, because it is only in Jesus that hearts can be saved and people can be led to repentance. The prayer of Nehemiah was used to bring restoration to the nation, there is prayer that can save a nation. Let's hear again what 
what Solomon heard from God in that context, okay? In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, if my people, that's a condition, it's an if, who are called by my name, that is, we've got a special relationship. You're the ones, of all the people, all the nations, you're the ones who have my name. Here's what you do. If they humble themselves, second, pray, third, seek my face, fourth, turn from their wicked ways, then, there was the if, now follows the then, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does our land need any healing? It tells us what to do and what the promise is, forgiveness and healing. There's prayer that can save a nation. Let's take another pause for prayer. Please join me as we pray for national repentance. Father God, so many things can go wrong in a nation because we are all sinners in need of grace. As a nation, we have done so much contrary to your word and will. The national landscape is littled with idols, our celebrities, our riches, our social media, and so many more. Lead us to humble ourselves and seek your face so you will hear from heaven to forgive our sins and heal our land. Help us to become a great nation, a city set on a hill whose beacon shines to light the way to righteousness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, next, let's pray for families. You know, that little uh, nation we were building with those blocks, the foundational one, families. I believe that is true. We cannot have a, a whole nation without whole and healed families. And you know, marriage is very much under attack because marriage, family, that's the bedrock of society. Marriage is God's design. And one of the first attacks that Satan goes after, yeah, the biblical model, the divine directive is a one man, one woman bound together by sacred vows in Jesus Christ. And they're unselfishly loving and cherishing each other, faithful to their promises, and they're in a bond that is a stable, nurturing, and safe place for children to be birthed and raised and then launched out into the world. That's God's plan, and Satan hates it. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told that marriage is a sign of a relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. So it runs really deep. And the problem we face now is that families are being fragmented and broken. Dads are bailing out. And then we have all these frustrated, exhausted, burned out mothers and children being raised in substandard contexts, which include sometimes neglect, abuse, and more often than not, the absence of a robust exposure to the claims of Jesus Christ and without the foundations of biblical values. And unless there is a turnaround, that will only get worse. Children will be the victims of drugs, gangs, crime, and all kinds of things like that. Abuse, the abused will become abusers, and another generation will be seriously harmed. Christians need to be involved. The marriages need to be strong. You know that 
in a month, or less, less than a month, four weeks from now, you saw it on the screen, Deeper Connections, Pastor Dreyer's going to be giving, you know, these are really, really important, really sharp. It's not for bad marriages. It's just for people that care about their marriages and say, you know what, I like it so much, I want it even better. And we, we also want to reach out to our community. We're the hosts, folks. So we want to really uh, do that well. So you're going to be hearing, you know, it's going to be progressively, the pressure is going to be on for all of us to participate in that. Okay, so we need to have strong families. <clears throat> Uh, we have opportunities also for helping the, you know, with adoptions, uh, foster care, through uh, what we're, we're involved with uh, care portal and so forth. The solution begins with prayer because prayer can save a nation. So let's pray. Let's pause again and let us pray. Let's pray for families. Father God, we lift up families in this church we lift up grandparents. They're such a vital part. We lift up parents and we ask in Jesus' name that you'd bless them, give them what they need to make our families work, Father. We pray for children. We pray that our children are doing well in school, Father, that they'll be able to stand up for you. Give them what they need to be successful. And Father, we pray for our church families here. Lord God, let us know, send us new people for our families, but also help this family to be able to take those people in. Give us what we need to be able to take those people in, Father. Lord God, we love you so much. We just pray for our families in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, none of this is going to happen without the next one. you see on your notes, it is to pray for the church the churches. Yeah. See, God's established the church as the means by which he gets the gospel out to other people. And when people hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit brings faith, and that faith turns lives around. First of all, there is the conviction. Oh, I'm at odds with God. I need to be reunited with God. I need that reconciliation. Ah, Jesus gave his life for me so that I can be connected with God once again. So the church then exists as a kind of a counterculture. It's an alternative to what people are experiencing out there in the world. A voice, a presence, a light in the darkness, salt in a decaying world, hope in a post-Christian nation. And the church needs to be continually interceding for the nation. Now, for that, the church needs to be strong. Who's the church? We're the church. We need to be strong. Now, a church that is half-hearted, that requires very little of its people, that does not even intrude upon the preset agendas of its members, that aspires to no great sacrifice or change of lifestyle or change of time and financial management, in a generation, a church like that is going to fade into oblivion. When no churches no longer inspire to heroic deeds, we will no longer have martyrs, and the nation will follow and progressively weaken and fall prey to dictators and the experience of the visitation of the punishment of God. But to the church has been entrusted the gospel, the power of God for salvation, literally the power to save from Satan and from hell itself. We need to be continually strengthening our commitments, growing our leadership, 
in, in, uh, increasing our witness and our servanthood. Christians are called to do this, to stand in the gap. What do I mean? Let's go to Psalm 106, verse 23. Therefore he, that is God, said he would destroy them, that is the people that were worshiping a golden calf, had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach, the gap, to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy him. So God said, I'm gonna make good on the threat that I made that if you worship other gods, that's it, you've had it. I have to, I have to punish you. And then Moses said, I'll stand in that gap. You see, the gap, the separation between God and his holiness and man and his sin. So I'll, I'll be there and just put the punishment on top of me. You, you see him as a type of Christ? <laughs> yeah, so Christ said, okay, for a sin of man, just, just crucify me. I'll stand in that gap. I will be there. And, and as a result of that, you see, the wrath of God was all hammered down on Jesus Christ and we, the guilty ones, the unfaithful ones, got to be free, actually forgiven. Well, let's go to Ezekiel 22, verse 30. It says, uh, and this is after God had made good on his promise to punish them, and they lost their land. And here's the prophet Ezekiel, and he's in exile in Persia. And he says, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. <laughs> Underline that wall of righteousness that guards the land. You get it? You see, how does God guard the land? The wall of righteousness of the people of God. And then he said, I searched for someone to stand in the gap. You see, because the wall, there was that breach in the wall. So I wouldn't have to destroy the land. So I wouldn't have to make good on the threat that I had made. But I found no one. But God did find one. Hmm. Prayer can change the nation. Let's pause again for prayer. Oh, okay. Who was going to be? Go ahead. Take take the mic, microphone then. Yeah. Gracious Father, we thank you for sending your son to stand in the gap and to take upon himself the just penalty of human rebellion and disobedience. May this example of our perfect intercessor lead us to be willing to stand in the gap, intercede for your mercy, and lead us to be willing to endure the cost through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when you wake up in the morning you are God's intercessor. And when your feet hit the floor, Satan says, rats, she's up. Because you're... <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, I see her every morning. <laughs> uh, okay, so who's going to stand in the gap? Well, okay, we're back to, it was one. It was Jesus that has done that. The righteous wrath of God that landed on him so that all who believe in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. But now there's another step. And this is we get to stand in the gap. We get to be with Jesus in that gap. He says, you know, you are to be intercessors. Um, 
It, because there are our own sins and there are the sins of a, of a society that is turning away from God and going mad, uh, rejecting his mercy. So we need to be there. And so he calls upon us to intercede for the nation. Call the nation to repentance, to confessing, to praying, humbling themselves. Yes, seeking the face of God. And then the nation can endure. It can nurture and protect its children, its unborn, its elderly. It can operate with integrity. Its government can be honest and just. Its security can be strong. Kate, you want to come and finish us up with one more uh, offering of prayer here as we take this pause. Dear Lord, we know you're coming back for one bride and one body, so we pray for unity in your church all across this nation and around the world. We ask that you would remove barriers and unite us in your love. Help us to submit to you completely and to one another in love. Lord, we pray for wisdom and revelation to know you better, that you would continue to, that we would continue to grow together into maturity. Lord, as your church faces struggles, dire circumstances, and persecution, we pray that we would humbly walk alongside each other, supporting each other, and be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, that we might have great endurance and patience and remain in your joy. We pray that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we are able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through our dear Jesus to the glory and praise of God. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, folks, uh, the good news is that the sermon isn't ended. You say, well, we're down to the last. I followed. No, that was the last point. Okay, folks, uh, this is just the beginning. When is the sermon going to really be ended? Well, when Jesus comes again. Okay, in the meantime, okay, I'm just going to challenge you. Take this card with you where you go, okay? Reread, would you please reread all those scriptures and then recall that at every point we stopped. There's a pause to pray. Would you be willing to be people who are intercessors for the nation because I believe that prayer can change a nation. Where does it begin? Well, when we finally get millions and millions and millions of people doing it, no. When we start right here, 